This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday, the 15th of May. I love Friday. I love Friday. Mind you, I love Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. I'm slightly peculiar. Uh, The tiny village at the centre of the homophobic row. It's over the name of one of the roads. Trick of the light, it was, the scientists have pointed out. You know, the people who saw the dress in the two different colours, it was a trick of the light. Uh, The 24-foot conger eel that they've just found, I mean, absolutely enormous. Uh, The judges discussed at the violent yobs who saw a dying man in the street and they stole his phone. Really revolting people. Uh, Safety fears, the over-70s refuse to stop driving. The sun creams that don't give you the protection that they promise. And the lady hounded by the charities who committed suicide. I can't say I'm surprised. Sad though it is, bless her heart, Olive, who, as you've heard already on LBC, devoted everything, uh, got hounded. And the reason she got hounded, it's fairly simple. It's not a complicated procedure. It's been going on for years. What they do is, if you ever make a donation to a charity and they get your phone number... You're on a list. I warn you now that you will be hounded, and there will be people listening at the moment who are hounded by the uh, the fundraising side of these big charities. And this will be everybody. She'll have been targeted by, I should imagine, most of the main charities. If you go back through her phone records, and I hope they will, and find these people and go round and slap their stupid little legs, because these people did not give up. She was getting ten begging letters a day, because once they've got you, they want you. It's like buying something online. I don't give my phone number out to anybody. Anybody uses my home phone number and I don't recognise the number, it doesn't get answered. It's as simple as that. We just, we just don't bother with it. But what, what annoys me is that this woman who, you know, surely, I mean, surely to God, there must have been somebody in her family who could have helped her and said, you know, she must have been able to say to people. And yet, you know, all you had to do, get your phone number changed. Once you've changed the phone number, they, they can't find you. But once they've got you, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, hello, I'm calling from Save a Gay Pony or something. You know, would you like to help us, you know, because we're actually trying to sort of send it back to Bangladesh or somewhere. And she goes, oh, I don't know. So she had all these standing orders going out, helping people, but they didn't give up. They had to hound her till her death. And these people are solely responsible for this woman's death. It's got nothing else apart from them hounding her every day because she'll be on so many lists. And once you're on one list... They'll be on, I should imagine, she could have been on 100 lists easily. And different people, and it'll have her name, what she's given before, and uh, and a phone number. And you phone her. Why her family did not change her phone number, I've got no idea. I wish I knew the answer to that one. Because it goes on all the time. It's the phone cold calling. It's illegal. It's illegal. So what they do, they call you from outside of the country. In which case, it's not illegal. But uh, people like that, I think, who is it who had the, the, the best idea? They said, I just go, hold on a sec, put, put the phone down, go off and do, do your stuff. And just leave them sitting there. I, mind you, my trick used to be, oh, sorry, are, are you from the funeral home? <laughs> is he all right? And like that. You, I don't, they hang up so fast. They hang up so fast. But uh, these, these companies should be named and shamed. These are big charities who are calling this woman. And in the end, she couldn't take it anymore. And at the age of 92, she threw herself off a bridge. You know, or she fell off a bridge. We don't really know. They just know that they, they retrieved a body. It's sad. It's immensely sad. But it's not the saddest story that I've ever read. You know, I've heard of people being being pushed by these bloody charities. Because charity is a business. 
It's a business. Don't ever think, ladies and gentlemen, that charity is not big business. These high street stores, and I come from Twickenham in Middlesex, and I'm telling you now, we've got more charity shops than anything else. More charity shops, coffee shops and estate agents. Charity shops, though, dominate. And people come there and they get little sweet old ladies or sometimes people who thieve from them to go and run them. And um, and that's it. And people donate the the stuff. My God, they're an ungrateful bunch of so-and-sos. I remember once taking a load of clothes. I've told you before. I took a load of clothes in there worth thousands. And the woman just said, just leave them over there. No thank you. No please. No nothing. Ignorant little so-and-so, so I didn't bother giving any more. I decided, no, they're so ungrateful. And, uh, and the people in the shop, as you know, get the pick of the stuff when it comes in. So they're often found to be wandering back. Mind you, I did uh, something the other day. I knew I was going to mention it. Apart from the fact this morning, it's freezing cold. I mean, it really is cold out there. The other day, I came out to wait for my car in the morning. I'm very good like that. I'm always out there in plenty of time. Only to discover that on one of the pillars on the building, a woman had written... Somebody had graffitiized, I didn't know it was a woman at the time, uh, had graffitiized one of our... She'd written in neat pens something about writing on this... Uh, let me, I'll tell, I'll tell you exactly what, what she wrote. What she wrote. And the only reason I, uh, I mention it is because it, it, has a, it has a story. It has a story attached to it, which she's about to be aware of. So I found it on this, this pillar of ours. She has written, defacing this post does not compare to how the Tories are defacing Britain, exclamation mark, fight the power. So, so she writes this on our post, on part of our building, you wizened old bag. Anyway, we sat down last night because we tried to get it off. Well, it took me and Lynn about half an hour. We had scouring pads, we had SIF, we tried everything. Finally got it off, and so we have 24-hour CCTV. Uh, and it covers the entire site. And it records as well. What she didn't know is that there were two video cameras recording her. So we sat down. Because we didn't know what time it happened, Lynn, Lynn, Lynn's quite persistent on this kind of thing. Whereas me, I'm going, oh, listen, we, we've managed to get it off, Lynn. Let's not worry about it. She said, no, I want to know who actually did it. So we sit down and, uh, and she said, now, you saw it in the morning. I said, yeah, after two o'clock. Now, at the same time, there was a break-in somewhere else in Twickenham, so we saw the police cars arriving. So, but we couldn't see watching back the playback, and it's perfect, it's HD. We couldn't, because she's written it, she's not graffitied it in, you know, the usual sort of, you know, Tory scum kind of thing. She's sort of written it quite neatly. But uh, we go through it, we can't find it anywhere, we can't find it anywhere. So I said to Lynn, Let, let's give it up as a bad job. So this is yesterday, about half past three, and I'm thinking, it's Prosecco time. You know, I'm missing Prosecco time, I might be having some food upstairs, I've left a candle burning, all these things. Anyway, so I said, I'll tell you what, she said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persist with it. So I then go sort of back. Next thing, ten minutes later, my phone rings. I found her. I said, no. She said, yep, yeah, at 715 Yesterday, in the evening, in full view of everybody, this fat old bag comes along with her, with her bag. She's clearly identifiable, because I've now managed to get one of our neighbours to take a screen grab. I'm going to put her up on my tweet page. I'm going to find you, darling. I'm absolutely going to find you. I'm hoping you work in a local shop. Anyway, she, she comes up, she walks past, then she stops, then she comes back, then she goes to the, to the pillar... Then she starts writing. Then she steps back. Then she continues writing. There's people walking past. And, and you know what she does then? She takes four photographs of her handiwork. She stands back with her phone. You fat old bag. I'm coming for you. 
I'm coming for you, I tell you. We'll be using you as a life boy in the Thames. And she takes a picture of this defacing of people's property. And Lynn said, "Is I mean, what, what, what can we get her on? I said, criminal damage. I said, it's not her, her property. She's defacing our property. It was the audacity of this fat old bag who took pictures of it. But we've got you, dear. We, we know the bags you were carrying. I can almost tell you what was inside them. I know exactly what you were wearing. And we know exactly at what time you were there. So uh, we're going to put you on the internet, darling. Oh, I tell you, you're going to regret the day you ever wrote on anything to do with me. Not just me, but all the people who live there as well. So, uh, so that was yet. So that was the highlight of yesterday. We got a bit excited, but Lynn, of course, is she's like a Rottweiler. Once once she's grabbed onto something, there's no way she's going to let it go. I was all for saying, "Oh, don't worry about it." It's only a bit of graffiti, and we did get it off eventually. But uh, people who go around vandalising buildings, I'm sorry, they deserve to hang. I absolutely. I'm in. I'm in no. Two ways about that whatsoever. How dare people go round and start? It's the other day. Who was it? Was it? Might have been James O'Brien. He's been in a very funny mood recently. He, um, but he's always like that. I think you know, when, once your hair starts going, you kind of, you know, you kind of feel a bit inadequate. And Prince Harry's hair is going. Somebody said to him, you know, you, you've got hair like your father's. And uh, Harry's. I thought, well, that's an interesting question. And so Harry then said yes, and it turns out that Harry is losing his hair. I thought people who were red-headed had fairly strong hair. But anyway, all of that to, uh, to one side. Where was I going? I can't remember what I was talking about now. But anyway, so it was, it was all very interesting, um, sort of doing this. That's right, that's right. James O'Brien was talking about the bloke who went into Tesco's and nicked the sandwiches. Do you remember? The ones that were out of date. But he was claiming he couldn't work because he had a bad back and yet managed to scale a ten-foot wall. And no, it wasn't. It was Nick Ferrari. God, how easily you get people confused. And Nick Ferrari said to this bloke who phoned up and said, well, you know, I think it's all right. He was hungry and everything else. I thought, well, he was so hungry, he managed to bring another child into the world without any thought whatsoever of how he was going to feed it. Perhaps he was going to give it out of date chicken and tuna sandwiches or something. I don't know. But uh, so he does this. And this bloke said, well, I don't see anything the matter with it. Nick said, well, that's fine. So in other words, you don't mind if somebody come round and breaks into your house and steals from your bins. And of course, the bloke didn't really have an answer for that one. Because people all, oh, I'm a, I'm a do-gooder, I'm a busybody, I'm that kind of person. But the moment it's on, on their own doorstep, they don't like it. And I can't bear graffiti at the best of times. Richmond uh, Railway Station is a nightmare for people who graffitiise along the entire wall at the back of a very smart estate. As you come into the station, now the people who generally write on there are generally of limited intelligence. Limited intelligence. They can't help it. You know, the family brain cell has been loaned out to somebody and they don't have it. It's like this morning, I'm coming into the building, car drops me off, and I go to the door, and there's these lads, yeah, wicked. And he, he says to me, he says, what is this? And so I said, because I, I like to be succinct in the morning, he's, he's pointing, he said, what's that? I said, it's a door. Anyways, a do- of course he was a bit stupid, didn't realise what I was doing to him. And so he said, what is it? I said, it's a door. And then his mate started laughing. I said, have you not seen a door before? God, we've got loads. Loads over here, really. I mean, you'll find them all up and down the street. Go and have a look at a few more. And they went, no, mate, no, mate. He says, what is it? What is the building? And I went, it's a building. You kind of answered your own question. I said, it's a radio station. No. He goes, what, open now? I went, 24 hours. I wasn't sure whether or not he really was remedial or whether or not I was dealing with a complete and utter idiot. Anyway, he didn't understand me taking the mickey out of him. So, of course, I came in and then he said downstairs, he said, you do get them, don't you? I said, I've had that before when somebody's pointed at it and said, what's that? And I go, it's a door. 
I said, because they're, they're not bright enough to understand somebody taking the Michael. Quarter past four. Nick Ferrari at breakfast on LBC. What for the Lib Dems? Well, they could actually fit all of their MPs into a minibus. Uh, it's Jim Farron, Lib Dem MP for Westmoreland and Lonsdale, former president of the party, joins me now. Did you see this coming? Uh, to an extent, I think, uh, but I'd be lying to you if I said I thought it'd be as bad as it was. It's the English devolution package. It's the best hope, says Mr Osborne, of rebalancing the UK economy. Philip Blonde has published a blueprint for full devolution to UK cities ahead of last year's Scottish referendum. He joins me now. The Manchester model will have full control of all of the public spend in its area. To the uh, first social supermarket in London. London Mayor Boris Johnson is there. Just to prove that you're in touch with the shoppers. A tin of Tesco everyday value baked beans. How much would that be? A tin of Tesco everyday No, I'm asking you, Mr Mayor. A tin of beans, folks. No, no, no I'm asking yeah, you, know, Mr I'm Mayor. Just, I'm just putting it to my focus well, group. Yeah. Nick Ferrari at breakfast every weekday morning from 7 on LBC with Hampton by Hilton with over 2,000 hotels worldwide Nick Ferrari this morning and the team Labour's Tessa Jowell will join Nick in the studio to answer your questions we'll also hear from the founder of UKIP as to why he's concerned about his party and uh, UKIP MEP Stephen Wolfe joins Nick too will he come out swinging for Farage Meanwhile, celebrity chef Jamie Oliver talks about his food revolution. That's all with Nick Ferrari this morning at seven after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. So I've started the diet today. I've started the diet. My friend Nicola, who is working for another radio station in this building, even as I speak, uh, is quite concerned. And so she brought me in. She made a flapjack with no sugar. And I can't tell you all the ingredients because I can't remember it. But it involved dates. I think three dates, bananas, some almonds and all sorts of different bits and pieces. It was delicious. It was like eating Christmas cake. And I do like Christmas cake, but there was no no sugar. Very, very tiny, tiny bit of sugar in. So she's going to make it, hopefully, on a regular basis. You know how funny I am about eating other people's food. Uh, I got an email. No, it wasn't. It was a text. No, it wasn't. It was a tweet uh, from a guy called Barry yesterday. Because I read, it's tipping it down in Twickenham, loving it. Because I love the rain. I love the rain. And it's very good. But then, of course, the combination of it being cold this morning. All those people who've planted their little plants out, got to be careful because it might kill, they might look fairly healthy, but under the ground, the roots could be killed off. Not so good. Anyway, so it tipped it down. I mean, it bucketed down. And uh, and Barry then says, so glad you're loving it. I just got soaked walking to the pub. And I wanted to, to reply to him and say, Barry, sweet pea, all day and all of yesterday, every single news bulletin was talking about the fact the heavens are going to open. You know, even I said on the programme, it's going to rain. It's going to chuck it down. And of course it did. And then people act surprised, don't they? They go, oh, it's chucked it down. You go, but I told you it was going to rain. Heavens above, how much more can we do? And then over in Spain, Mitch and the other half are listening all night in Tormos in Spain. It's been 41 degrees and he sent me in a photograph. He said the whole mountain has burst into flames. 41 degrees. See, I couldn't function in that Mitch at all. But he said it's very scary. Very scary. Mitch is a, a top radio presenter. Now, you see, you see, I can't bear that line. You know me. Somebody, somebody the other day, when we, what was that other expression I didn't like? Oh, that's right. Personality presenter. I hate that. I mean, every presenter's got a personality. You don't need to write it down. I remember going out to Vienna. My, Paul, my friend Paul Hollingdale would appreciate this. And uh, in the... In the sort of the mornings at Blue Danube Radio, which is what I worked on a couple of times in the year. I think I probably did about six weeks. 
And um, and you'd go through their files of all the radio presenters in this country who'd applied for work out there. And one of them, and I always remember it, out of all the people who applied, and uh, one of them was Timmy Mallet, all sorts of people who applied to go and work for BDR. And um, and I, I would sit there in the morning and read people's application. You know, I want to come and work in, in Austria because of this, that and the other. And one person said, I'm, I'm a very good interviewer. And listed, listed every single person that they'd ever interviewed. I mean, literally, it ran to about four pages. So, every, so if they'd interviewed Brian May or Anita Dobson, they put down Brian May and Anita Dobson. Whereas I don't feel the need to put that down anymore. I just do. I do interviews. And in fact, you'll hear... A little bit of my interviewing effort this morning as we play you two clips from this weekend's In Conversation. And it is a good, good In Conversation. They're always good, but this one, uh, one we only did yesterday, which was Omid Jalili. He's got a new film out. He's, he's not in it, which is a rarity these days, but he's exec producing it. And uh, you're going to like it. In fact, I know you're going to like it because I watched it yesterday and I was, I was captivated by it. What it hinges around is... Uh, is the war in Iraq that never was, the weapons of mass destruction that never existed, the lies from Tony Blair, the lies over in America. They were lying left, right, instead of Tony Blair standing up in the House of Commons. He'd been, they'd been told by Hans Blix, told by Hans Blix, we have found no evidence of weapons of mass destruction. And Tony Blair stood up and lied to the country. Still never apologised. Where were those weapons of mass destruction? Answer, they never existed. They were goading Saddam Hussein and they were starting a war. The Americans started the war. And this film that Omid is talking about is a documentary. So if you were one of those people all those years ago who took part in that huge demonstration, not just here, but it went around the world, millions, they reckon 30 million people, uh, complained about the war in Iraq. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why, where are the weapons of mass destruction? There are no weapons. You've lied. You're a liar. Why are you not telling us the truth? And it was it was in retaliation for 9-11. That's exactly what it was. And uh, But they stood up there. Bush stood up in front of the United Nations and lied through his teeth. Lied through his teeth. And this film is a documentary. It's got footage of you, probably, marching in London. Hundreds of thousands of people marching against the war. And at the time, we were all going, ah, listen, it's weapons of mass destruction, we've got to stop it. But of course, they knew best. And not only has this film got all of that footage, which is amazing. I mean, it's amazing. You might, you might spot yourself. If you went on one of those marches, you might spot yourself because people were people were passionate about it, absolutely passionate. But also they've got interviews with people like Tony Benn, Damon Albarn, people who got involved at the time. This, I think, was the last interview that Tony Benn ever did before, excuse me, before he actually died. And they've got a rare interview. He came out. He's never done an interview before. Hans Blix has done an interview. All sorts of John Le Carrier has done an interview. He said he'd never do another interview, but he's come out to talk about this. It's, the, it's, it's, it's a film made as a documentary, but for the cinema, with the music and the passion. and the, Oh, it's brilliant. And I thought I'd never get, you know, interested in anything like that at all. But the older I get, 39 plus of that, you know, you start thinking about things. So that interview with Omar Jalili runs this Sunday, and, uh, and it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just brilliant because it's a very good interview. It's because he's so passionate about it. So passionate. So we'll, uh, we'll do that. Uh, then we, we shall try and find out why this uh, fire is going on over in Spain. And Mitch, hope he can bring us up to date there. He's also voiceover man. I love voiceover man. Love voiceover man. And uh, somebody then texted me and said, why, why do you like Friday? And I went, I don't know. 
I like every day of the week. Friday in particular, because today I'm doing the programme. I don't have an interview to do today. I've got uh, one to do Monday and then one to do sometime next week, I think. So we're, we're keeping ourselves ahead of the game, which I quite like. Two a week ticks me over quite nicely. And, uh, and then go home. Might get my hair cut. That one. <coughs> Sorry, old joke. And then back into town because Sam, my ex-producer, is uh, leaving for pastures new. And so we can have a little, little drink. Not just me. There'll be about 30 or 40 people there, I should imagine, which is quite nice including some people that I haven't seen for a while. Uh, Carol says, um, I love colder weather. Lucky you, she says. Too warm lately in New York City. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. It really is cold out there today. It's quite noticeable. I nearly went back and put, uh, put, put gloves on, but I saved myself. I saved myself and I decided not to put, uh, not to put gloves on anymore. <laughs> uh, Jarrett's listening at the moment and uh, Fiona as well, and uh, the local PC shop. I think it's the Planetary Society. I thought it was PC being political correctness, but it, t- it turns out not to be. Uh, we'll look through the papers. We take all your texts and emails, 84850 uk. Very sad, says uh, Christina. This lady's been hounded by pressure from charity organisations. I quit working for a major charity when I saw how naked greed, disrespect of volunteers and other nasty tactics are the norm, basically exploiting people's charitable nature. Well, in this case, she was 92. And if you're 92, the world has moved on quite a pace. The world moves on very quickly, and she obviously didn't realise. She's been, she's been collecting for poppies for ages and ages. She was getting ten begging letters a day. And I, I want these charities exposed for their disgusting practices. Seriously, I do. I understand how they have to fundraise, but they should have known that this was a very old, vulnerable woman, and they contributed to her death. In fact, they are wholly responsible for her death. She wouldn't have committed suicide if these charities hadn't hounded her so much. Ten begging letters a day, phone calls, drove her to distraction. These charities have got her death on their conscience, but they couldn't give a toss, ladies and gentlemen. They really couldn't care. Why should they care? There's loads more old ladies like her out there and old gentlemen who, you know, might be in the grips of dementia. They don't know what's going on. They've got no idea. Somebody phones them up and says, can you give us some money? Yeah, I can can give you some money. That's why you get sort of certain low-life scummy people who go round to pensioners' houses and take advantage. Can I fix your roof for you? Looks like that's a bit loose up there. I'll come with you to the bank. £1,000, that'll be. These people thieve from them. I'd hang them all. Hang them all. I really would. I quite like the story, I don't know how it ever happened, of a woman in um, Jordan. The hospital's in Amman. She goes in and she has uh, a caesarean... I can't believe it myself, this one. And uh, then, uh, I think a day later, her family noticed her stomach was vibrating. Turns out the surgeon dropped his mobile phone in and then stitched her up. I mean, how fantastic. Imagine, you could hear voices coming from inside. Help me, help me. You know, that could be brilliant, couldn't it? Anyway, um, (laughs) she says surgeons operated immediately to remove the phone. The Jordanian health ministry denied the claims but said it was investigated. I can't believe, seriously, that there's people in an operating theatre and they they drop a telephone in and then stitch her up. I mean, do you believe that? I don't believe it. I can't believe it. It's just too too far-fetched, isn't it, that you can actually actually drop a phone in. And nobody knows. What was he on the phone talking to somebody? Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) <laughs> Kevin the Milkman says, it's not cold, I'm down to the shorts already. White socks glowing in the moonlight. There's a guy who works for one of our sister stations. 
There's, there's so many young people in this building. I mean, seriously, I can feel quite depressed walking around because they're all... And he wears shorts every day. Second day running yesterday, he was wearing shorts. And uh, I said, shorts? And he went, yeah. Now, I think he's from New Zealand. I think, every, I think it's, it's de rigueur that every bloke from New Zealand and Australia wears shorts all the time. All the time. Come winter, come sunshine. Because over there, there's not really a proper winter like over here. So, and he said, yeah, it's all right. And I was sort of thinking, I couldn't wear shorts at all. I'm really, I, can't. I mean, apart from the fact that, you know, if I did wear shorts out on the street, the Antiques Roadshow would be having my legs valued because I just don't have great legs. You know, some people look at their legs and they go, they look great. Mine just, they look awful. You know, and I think the older you get, I think your legs get worse. They certainly don't get any better. Talking about my uh, getting better, I'm now running very late for the news, so very quickly it's... Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday, 15th of May. Cold. Not for Kevin. His little legs, honestly, he's so hardy out there. He likes, uh, he likes wearing his shorts. Uh, he says, I find the idiots, as they come to me, saying, got any milk, mate? To which I reply, about a thousand pints, pal. Thanks for asking. No, mate, he says, I want a free pint of milk. I then look at the sign on the van door saying, that sign, pal, says dairy, not charity. <laughs> Try asking the security guard in Tesco's for freebies. <laughs> it is, the things people ask you, it really is daft, isn't it, really? My, my, my pet hate is walking into a, into a restaurant and, uh, and there's two of you, there's nobody behind you or anywhere else, and they go, how many? And you go, and of course, because a lot of the people, they don't understand irony. When I go, um, I think about 300 and they look at you blankly. I go, the coach driver's just parking up. You see the look of panic on their faces. Why do people ask such daft questions? <laughs> really is. I might wear shorts one day, actually. Uh, apparently, oh, the film, incidentally, this uh, film about the Iraq war that never was. The, uh, I mean, you've got to listen to this interview because you'll, you'll understand it. It will refresh your memory. But if you were one of those people who went on the march and one of those people who was constantly barracking Tony Blair to come clean and tell the truth. This is the weapons of mass destruction. They were goading Saddam Hussein. At one point, I think somebody, who the Dickens was it? Was it Tony Benn or somebody? Anyway, I think, no, Hans Blix wanted to go over to see Saddam Hussein with Nelson Mandela so that they could say, listen, let's, let's avert this. It could have been averted quite easily. But the Americans, once Bush had got his teeth firmly into this non-existent story and tried to convince himself. And as somebody said to him, why are you not doing it? He said, and he said, I have no intention of going back on my word. So they literally prepared for war. They literally prepared for war, looking for something that never existed. There were no weapons of mass destruction. There were no chemical weapons. There was nothing. There was nothing at all. The experts had been over there. They say, we can see no evidence. And Tony Blair stood up and lied, 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 lied. This film is going out to cinemas. I think the Odeon, Cineworld, View, loads of other places. It's called We Are Many. I mean, you will, you will like it. It's, it's, not, it's not your normal run-of-the-mill films. It really is not. I, mean, I was trying to explain to my boss, because he said, is it a comedy? I said, no, it's not, it certainly isn't a comedy. A few people might have laughed afterwards, like Tony Blair. Joke. Ha, ha, ha. Laugh out loud. But it's, it's, quite, it's quite passionate. It's very good. It's got some fantastic interviews in it. And beautifully put together, they do the countdown to war. The, you know, Bush couldn't wait to get the troops up and, uh, and out there for no reason. For no reason whatsoever. That's why, if you went on the march, if you were one of those millions around the world, there's a very good chance you'll see yourself up in this film. Very good chance. We Are Many, it's called. You'll, uh, you'll like it. 
You'll like it a lot. Uh, 84850, uk. apparently. Uh, oh, somebody's got a blood test. Poor old Angela's got a blood test today. She said, I'm staying up especially late to listen to you. I'll pay for it later. Come 7am, state of collapse. Bang goes my 9am blood test this morning. Just didn't fancy it this morning. No, you must go. I never... You see, I'm always quite good for my blood tests. Quite good. In fact, I've got another one coming up shortly. But uh, because I can sleep through most of it. So when they say stop eating, you know, six hours or eight hours or ten hours beforehand, that suits me fine. Because the time I've finished and then go off to get the uh, the blood test, I'm I'm all tickety-boo. Firing on all cylinders. She says, uh, who needs a blood test anyway? Well, in this day and age, you know, there's a bloke in the paper today. And um, this is an 18-year-old who was having his party. He drank quite a lot. And then at the end of the party, what did he do? He had a stroke. He thought it was only affecting old people. You need to listen to LBC more. You could be better informed about it because it can affect anybody now. You know, if you end up with, with a blood clot, there is a chance you're going to get... A stroke, and he had one at 18. He was so shocked, so shocked. Ian says, I never give to charities via texts, chuggers or checks, only to street collectors or charity shops directly. This poor woman was hounded by vampires. Fully agree with you. The funny thing is, the family tried to change her phone. They went from the post office to BT, whatever that is, and um, and it didn't make any difference. They still found her. You see, I think what you have to do is you just have to give her a mobile phone and not, you know, and then she can use that all the time. Um, they say they don't know which which charities pestered her. Well, that's simple to do. That's very simple to do. You can go to Telecom and they will have a list of all the people who've called that number. If she was getting them on such a basis, there would be a long list of companies and you can trace them via that. These companies should be named and shamed in the paper. This woman was directly killed by their action. Nothing else. She didn't suffer from depression. Well, she did after she was pestered by the uh, the phone things. And um, charity, please. She felt so guilty she couldn't give more. And then she lost 250 quid, which she'd sent to somebody. I mean, the, the, the worst thing is that this goes on all the time. This is relentless. Relentless. Uh, I see that um, football star Clark Carlisle. There's something the matter with him, isn't he? Hasn't he got some sort of emotional problems? I seem to remember his name coming up again. Uh, he admitted failing to provide a breath test and driving without a licence. He's been banned now for three years. I mean, he's either very stupid. Because, you know, if, if he's been stopped. He's an ex-QPR Leeds and Burnley player. He was driving a Mercedes. They said he was driving erratically. Smelled alcohol. Found that the dad of two had been eating a burrito at the wheel. Two days later, he's got a history of depression. He tried to take his own life by jumping in front of a lorry. What's he doing driving? In answer to that question, Stephen. He shouldn't be driving. So now three years outside the court, he said I'm glad it's all over. I look forward to paying my dues to society. About time. About time we got something back, isn't it? And uh, you're getting nothing back from Mr Burns, because the voice of Mr Burns is leaving The Simpsons. Now, according to one of the papers, The Sun says he was fired. The Mirror says he quit. I thought he quit. And the reason being, he wanted to do other things. This is uh, Harry Shearer, who also played Ned Flanders and Principal Skinner, rejected a two-year, £8.9 million offer. <sighs> That's how much they get for doing these. I feel quite physically ill, actually. When we were talking earlier on about doing voiceovers, this is the voiceover you'd want to get. A two-year deal worth £8.9 million, so roughly about £4.5 million a year for just being a voice. You don't even need to dress up for it. A voice for £4.5 million a year. It's the dream job. It's the, one of these days, 
some cartoon manufacturer is going to listen to this voice of mine and go, that's the voice I want. That's the voice I want. And I'll be going, four and a half million? I don't think so. Five. I want five million. But uh, he's been in, been in loads of things, actually. He's worth more than 40 million. He's 71. I thought he quit so that he could do other things. 71 and he's worth 40 million. <gasps> Why would you ever want to work ever again with 40 million? Uh, Katie Hopkins, coming back to LBC. She's coming back soon. She's talking about Chubster, Charlotte Church, who's been on my case this week. Following Labour's thrashing, she chose the VE commemorations to march about with a crap placard saying, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. She even took to a loudspeaker to tell other Welsh people how mad she was whilst chugging a Greg's steak slice sideways in her rage. A fat Welsh Russell, Russell Brand. Busy celebrating the fact my party tore Red Ed a new one, she decided to settle matters in the only way she knows and challenged me to a fight. Yes, we knew about this. We, we revealed this on, uh, on LBC. She says, I've always loved Mexican wrestling. And um, and also wearing exceptionally tight pants. So a bit of fisticuffs could just be my thing, right, Katie Hopkins. Furthermore, I've never been a big fan of Chubster Church. Voice of an angel, mouth of a gutter wench. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, voice of an angel. <laughs> Potty mouth. Come on, Charlotte, let's see who's tougher. While you were eating sausage rolls in between songs, I was graduating from Sandhurst and running 800 miles for the army. Despite being in a different weight division... And the fact my arms dislocate when I sneeze, courtesy of my epilepsy, I still reckon I could knock that gum, that gurn, off your face. Oh, yes, it wouldn't be too difficult. Let's face it, Charlotte Church, I remember the pictures vividly. Every time you opened up the papers, there she was, face down in the gutter again. It was a bit the Sarah Harding syndrome. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Well, she was face down, flat out, because she was drunk as a skunk. Very embarrassing. Very, very embarrassing. Here's Johnny Depp. I mean, how stupid you have to be. The quarantine laws are there for a reason, Mr Depp. I don't care who you are. You know, you don't have... It's like, you know, if a member of the royal family did the same thing, I'd be saying the same thing. This is um, this is just breaking the law. He flies his two dogs in on a private jet, and obviously somebody's going, what's he doing? He's smuggling animals into the country. What? So he's been told, he's got until tomorrow, to get them out of Australia, or they'll be put down. I don't think they will actually be put down, but I think they're, they're, they're definitely go- they're either going to go around and confiscate them. He's broken the law. I mean, he must be stu- he must realise what quarantine is. Perhaps he doesn't. Perhaps he doesn't understand. Boo and Pistol, they're called. They're two sort of rather camp dogs for a fairly butch actor, and uh, they were seized after pictures of them at a grooming salon appeared on Facebook. He's been given seventy-two hours. The agriculture minister, Barnaby Joyce, they they. Sorry, excuse the language. They don't, they don't mess about in Australia. Barnaby Joyce says, it's time that Pistol and Boo buggered off back to the States. That's how they talk over there, you know. I don't think they use the word, you know, B, the B word all the time. He says, there is a process. If you want to bring animals into Australia, you get the permits. Then you go to quarantine and then you can have them back. If these two don't go back, they can all bugger off. He doesn't really care at all. I quite like the bluntness of the Australians. But he's quite right. I mean, Johnny Depp must be an idiot. There are quarantine rules, and they're there for a very good reason. They're there for a very good reason. It's to stop people... Bring, who knows what diseases these dogs have got? And then takes them to a grooming salon. Who they're probably going, oh, really exciting. Johnny Depp. What do you mean they've not been through quarantine? Don't touch them! Don't touch them! Get them out of the salon as quick as possible. Uh, here they are, the couple. Remember they were living in their car? 
And, of course, us being a generous kind of country. We always help people out, don't we? Uh, this is Philip and Victoria Sherlock standing in their new flat after spending only three months living in a Ford Focus. They didn't have to do it very long to sort of kind of get the thing. I mean, to be honest with you, they're driving me mad already. They were previously evicted because they fell into debt because they didn't know how to money manage. They're obviously not the brightest pair. He's 42. He's 42. You'd think people would know, wouldn't you, by this time? And um, they can rent the Manchester flat after he got a warehouse job. He said the first night in our own bed was incredible. I don't think I want to go down that route, ladies and gentlemen. First night in our own bed. They've only spent three months in the car. It's not like they've been sitting there for years, is it, really? But uh, anyway, they've got the flat. Let's see how long it takes before they're evicted from this one. 14 to 5. This is Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday, the 15th of May. I trust you well. I had a mini-stroke, says Lynn. I was giving my son a driving lesson. I had a funny headache, but I thought I'd better, better sort of feel better going out. I was OK for about an hour, then realised I was in trouble, but I couldn't speak. I was OK again a few hours later, but very uneasy for a few weeks afterwards. A friend of mine is very excited this morning. He works for another one of our sister stations in the building. And uh, I'm, I've, been, I've been told not to mention it. Uh, so luckily I, I can, because I don't, I don't think he's listening at the moment. He's, he's going to have his wisdom tooth uh, done today. He's waited for this for ages. And so at 11.20 this morning, it's going to be like that. And he said to me, he said, he said, promise me one thing. He said, promise me, he said, that you won't, you won't mention it this morning. So I've deliberately mentioned it this morning. Because, I mean, I don't think he'll be listening. I don't think he'll be listening just yet. But it's, it's something you've got to have done. It's, it's, they say two and a half hours. Because it's quite difficult, isn't it, to get wisdom teeth out. They seem to be sort of quite in, 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 in sort of ingrained or ingrown or whatever they do nowadays. So anyway, he's got to have it out because it's driving him mad and it's making him ill. So the best. And I said, as soon as you've had it out... It will be fine. You'll feel a lot better about it. But we're all forbidden from mentioning it because he's, he's, uh, he's a bit scared about it. As indeed you would be. I hate procedures like that. It's, it's not so much the procedure. It's the fact you can't see what they're doing. I'm not sure if there was a camera in your mouth, whether or not it would make it easier if you could watch on a screen them drilling. They keep telling me, you know, it's only water that's being generated by this thing. I thought, no, it's not. It's water that's cooling it down. It's an actual drill bit that goes round. And I hate it. I mean, I hate it. Once I'm into the swing of it, I'm OK. It's, it's the lead-up to going to the dentist. It's like blood tests, isn't it? It's like, for me, trying to do your VAT. There's all sorts of things that you do. And once you've actually done it, you go, oh. Like, when I did my VAT a couple of days ago, I was amazed at how easy it was this time round. Because I've now got into a swing of it. And I, and I found the invoices really quickly. And I was able to do it. But it's, it's the stress it's the stress of doing these things nowadays. And so going for a blood test, I mean, I know I'm going to go in there and be all cheerful and all jolly because that's the way I am. And they're going to strap my arm up and she's going to find the vein and then she's going to slip a very long needle inside it. And that's the bit I can't watch. And I inject on a daily basis. I'm constantly sticking needles in my body. But yet when you go and have a blood test, there's something about it. I've tried watching. I can't even watch on the television. If ever there's some procedure and there, even if they're pretending on casualty or something like that, and it involves a needle, I have to look away. I cannot... I could never be a junkie. I could never be a junkie, because I couldn't inject a needle into my veins. Because when you actually inject as a diabetic, you don't necessarily have to worry about the vein, you're just injecting into, into your body. But, oh, God, it was vile. It just drove me to distraction. So, you know, if you're going to the dentist today, if you've got a blood test, or you've got something like that, or there's something that puts an extra bit of strain on you, hopefully this, this programme will kind of make you forget about it. Because on the way... To this country, a swarm of wasps. 
In fact, there are two swarms on their way. First of all, ants. Do you remember we had the flying ants a few years ago? Well, now we've got uh, record record swarms of wasps. Uh, They are saying that uh, the mild spring temperatures and the relatively cold winter have created the perfect condition for the annoying insects. I hate wasps. I'll try not to say it too loudly in case they understand English. I'm, I'm all right with everything else. Wasps build nests in spring, and it's best to get them treated early when the colony is smaller and less aggressive. But uh, you can go into Yellow Pages or probably go onto the internet and find a company that comes around for about 28 quid. They will come round and destroy the wasp nest because they're not protected. You can't do the same for bees, incidentally. If you're plagued with bees, you can't do anything about that at all. Jackie in Paddockwood. Cold this morning, Jackie. You will discover. Very, very cold. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Very quickly, this one here. Uh, Maria says you can buy a graffiti remover from most hardware stores. Makes it much easier. Chop their hands off. Oh, I tell you, I was fe- the idea that somebody's going to graffitiise your your sort of property is I just find horrendous. As I said, down at Richmond Station in Surrey, which is uh, you know it just it looks like a station like any other, but all the way along on the lead into it, graffiti artists, and as fast as they paint over it, they go out there and graffiti it again. Now, what I would do is I'm prepared to go down there with two Rottweilers and sort of sit in the dark. With, uh, with some night sights, waiting for them to turn up, trespassing on railway property, and just set the dogs free. Because literally, it's destroying people's property and people's neighbourhood. I don't want these people around there. I couldn't... Go and decorate something else. Go and decorate the side of your own house. Don't come round to our place. Start doing it round here. We don't want you. We don't want you. I think the chopping the hands off bit is, is very good. We'd never get away with it, but, I mean, it's worth trying, isn't it, a few times? <laughs> well, I quite I quite like it. And uh, and Millie says, get that woman you told us about. It was the fact that she that she did this graffiti and then she and then she took photographs of it as if she perhaps she's put it on her Facebook. Perhaps she thinks she's being clever. <laughs> she's got no idea what she's tangled with. No idea at all. And that's what makes it interesting, isn't it? I like that kind of thing. It makes me feel uh, makes me feel a bit superior about something, thinking that because we've got CCTV and because it's HD, we can find you really, really quickly. Really, really quickly. And another one here. Uh, this is from Natasha, who says, I'd like to know the top salaries of the senior staff in major charities. Oh, it, it's a huge, huge. And there is, and the, the reason, it's all well, well documented. The reason that the salaries are huge is because they're fundraising. And you go there and you take your ideas. That's why people move from charity to charity. Because once they've exhausted something, you know, in one, one charity, they go to another one. And they go there and they're looking for ways. And, it's, and the phone targeting, phone targeting is the, is the thing that is the big thing now. It's called phone bashing. Pe- people do it all the time. You must have noticed it years ago when people would sit there. It rooms and rooms of people calling up numbers. Hello. How do you fancy having a new roof fitted? Yep, you've only got to give us £3,000 and we'll fit your free new roof and all that kind of stuff. And it was phone phone bashing. They were doing cold calling. <laughs> 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, Chris says, I had a wisdom tooth out a few weeks ago. It took 10 minutes max and no drilling involved. Easy, no pain. I think, sadly, not anymore. I mean, perhaps you had the cheap version. I suspect you, you, you probably did. Uh, will reckons that um, Charlotte Church has brought more pleasure to people. 
She so has over the years. I think every time she fell over in the gutter, I think that was that derived great pleasure for many people and done more with her life so far than Katie Hopkins with her negative, destructive vitriol will ever achieve, newspaper column or not. No, you're wrong, Will. You're wrong. Couldn't be further wrong. She's got more people reading her column than Charlotte Church has sold albums. I mean, Charlotte Church, who used to have, you know, a fortune of 25 million, she's lost it left, right and centre. She doesn't do anything now. Doesn't do anything at all. And let's face it, can you name me any hits of Charlotte Church? No, you can't. See? I knew you wouldn't. I knew you couldn't do that. Because it's, uh, it just, you know, you just wouldn't know anything. Voice of an Angel. The, the person who masterminded her career was Jonathan Shallot. Jonathan Shallot, the super agent, who, uh, who masterminded Charlotte Church's career. And then the family turned around and went, oh, I don't want you anymore. And so, uh, and then it, she started to go on the decline. Then we started seeing her roaring up drunk in London with her, with her uh, scrubby friends, you know, vomiting. Out. Oh, it was just disgusting. It was really awful. And that was it. And then she'd go back and then she, you know, Katie Hopkins, she's an epileptic. She's got, she suffers from epilepsy. And every so often she'd go back to us with her arm reset in. But her column, there's no vitriol in the column. There's no vitriol in it. It's only vitriol if you think it's vitriol. But if you don't understand where the column's coming from, I mean, it's all factually correct. If it was wrong, do not think. I mean, this is this is a you know the biggest selling newspaper in the country. I'm sorry if you don't like it. You know that you're entitled to an opinion. But if it was no good, and if she was saying the wrong things, the lawyers would have clamped down on her. But they don't. There's nothing in the in the column that's ever actionable. There's nothing in it, you know, so you might disagree with some of her views. But then that's the whole idea of democracy, isn't it? I thought that's what democracy was, that everybody's entitled to an opinion. She's got an opinion. You've got your opinion. If you don't happen to like her opinion, well, kind of tough. Kind of tough. Boris said that to somebody on LBC the other day, and I I did smile to myself, thinking that that's, you know, that's exactly the way it works. That's exactly the way it works. If you don't like something, don't do it. Don't read it. Don't, you know, watch a television programme. I've got this dreadful thing. This dreadful thing at the moment. You know, you know we got rid of that ghastly, no-talented, showbiz-type creature from Big Brother. I've got a horrible feeling as part of a dreadful twist they're going to bring him back again. So we have to suffer with somebody as dreary as that. What amazed me was that when they evicted him the other day, and I can't remember, Simon Gross. I think he's just known as Gross because he's really awful and vile and horrible and ugly and just, just the worst kind of person to put on the television. Um... And, and then the others are sitting in there and they go, there's going to be an eviction. And the two bimbos from Manchester go, oh, no! Like, I felt like saying to them, have you seen this programme before, dears? Have you seen this programme before? They're all so ghastly. There's nobody in it who you'd, who you'd really want anywhere near you because they all look as though they're sort of borderline, you know, just about to be manacled and handcuffed and taken away in chains. You don't want them anywhere near you. Ghastly people. Ghastly people. So I'm, I'm quite pleased that they've got rid of Mr Gross. I say Mr Gross. I would think, you know, we'd probably need that to get that one uh, checked out a bit. Uh, we'll find this morning the tiny village at the centre of a homophobic row. We'll tell you about Robbie Williams going off walking. He's a walk DJ. And, um, and this is the story that's, that's emanated from America over somebody that they had working for them, who they claimed they got rid of and now... The story is that she walks around half naked and it's all terribly tedious, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm sure there are things behind closed doors that go on that we don't really want to know about at all. Jerry Halliwell gets married today. Thank the Lord for that one. Then perhaps we can see the end of it. Are you going to the wedding? No, I'm not going to the wedding either, actually. Um, 13 years after a sleepy village was rocked, Soham 
is still in the news. And also still in the news is Stephen Sutton. You remember the young man who died? He died a year ago. It does not seem possible. But his fund has now hit £5 million. Pounds. Is that the most fantastic thing? People are still giving. I love it. Love it. Mum who wouldn't mind her daughter becoming a glamour model. Which is great, isn't it? Uh, the judge, shocked at the cost of a sausage roll and of its awful food on the plane, blamed the engine noise. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. On FM, online, on your mobile and on digital radio. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC. This is LBC. Leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday. Whoopee! I resist the temptation to stand on the, the chair and swing my hips and go. I'm so excited. It's the weekend. Uh, Johnny Depp, two dogs in Australia, flies in, private jet, uh, doesn't bother with quarantine. I don't think there was any, actually. And, uh, and the Australian government have said, get them out. Uh, I think they've already impounded them. And if you don't get them out of the country, then we're going to have them destroyed. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? But mind you, you've, you've got to protect at the moment. Uh, the mum who says she wouldn't mind her daughter becoming a glamour model. Her daughter's three, incidentally, which is slightly disturbing. Uh, she was a glamour model herself. Although, as I say, don't ever think that really means model. It just means you're prepared to get your boobs out. And the housing benefit cuts start to bite. All of that and more this morning on LBC. It's funny, actually, isn't it? I don't know why anybody ever thought that glamour modelling was actually glamorous. I think it means cheap. I think that's what it means, because the majority of it, they go, what do you do, like, glamour model? Oh, right, what's that mean? Uh, get my boobs out. Oh, right, OK. So you don't actually do any catwalk modelling? No, no, do glamour model, glamour model. Do, like, you know, uh, stuff in Corfu and things like that. OK, dear, oh, right. So would you like to do catwalk? Can't do catwalk. Why? Five foot two. Oh, right, so you have to do the boob stuff. And that's what it is. And so this, this mum puts her kids in for every one of these ghastly sort of... Sort of... I don't know what you call them, actually, now. I can't remember. There's a name for them. These beauty pageants in America. Horrible. Where poor little girls get primped and preened. And mum goes, oh, she really loves it. You think, no, you're living it through your mother. And there's one such glamour model in the uh, the paper today. I say glamour because glamour is the last thing you'd ever think of when you look at her. She just looks slightly sort of uh, mumsy now, which of course is the way they go very, very quickly. Here's the tiny village at the centre of a homophobic row after a gay couple objected to a new street named Ban Gay's Way. Ban Gay's Way. Uh, Philip and Ian Tucker say the name which honours late local historian Frank Ban Gay is offensive. And now they've roped in their MP. Philip says, we laughed at first but on reflection realised it was pretty offensive. Well, it's it's the bloke's name. He can't help his name, can he? Anyway, and uh, he says, seeing it on the sign made it even worse. We're pretty sure the sign will be subject to frequent vandalism. Frank Bangay's son, Ian, hit back at the petty playground bullying and said, it seems oversensitive. I see Mr Tucker's position as little better than the homophobia he claims to decry. Chairman Frank Taylor says, when we say Bangay here, we think of Frank, not Ban Gay. Oh, I totally agree. Silly old girls' blouses, Philip and Ian Tucker. What are they thinking of? It's a name. It's a name. It's Frank's name. A late, a late local historian, Bangay's way. Not Ban-Gay's. I mean, dear, I mean, trust you two to move into a uh, place like that. Can you go somewhere else? 
Oh, dear me, honestly, what's the matter with these people now? People finding fault where there is no fault. That's his name. He can't help his name. Did you get? Do you write to everybody in the phone book who's got sort of funny names? And then go, oh, no, you shouldn't have a name like that in the phone books. Bangay's way. It's, it's a dead end, by the way. I thought I'd mention that. Nicky, the blonde bus driver. Morning, Nicky. Says Johnny Depp flew into Australia to an airport without border control. Question mark. Somebody must have let him in with his two dogs in his hands, unless he landed in the savannah. I mean, to be honest with you, perhaps they didn't... Perhaps they hid them. They're not very... They don't seem particularly big dogs. They're those little sort of dogs that people sort of tuck under their arms kind of thing. But you're right. So they land there... And on a, on a private plane, he's got two dogs and nobody says anything. They'll probably go, oh, it's Johnny Depp. He must have got permission. They must have done all this paperwork before. But because nobody's done anything, nobody probably thinks about it. Except somebody who went, wait a minute, he's brought dogs in. You know, they, they, they should have gone into quarantine. They don't want any outbreaks of anything. They really don't. Staying in West uh, Sussex, Steve, which is quite nice. Found you on an old Roberts radio. How exciting. I've never been found on an old Roberts radio. Gavin the Milkman says, four and a half million quid for a year's voiceover work as Ned Flanders, Steve. If they offered me the job, I'd have to say, okie dokely. You see, now that obviously means something, to because I've never seen it, so I've got no idea what that means. <laughs> oh, dear. Martin says, you say tickety-boo a lot. Do I? I wasn't aware I said tickety-boo a lot, do I? The producer says no. Uh-uh. She says no. My mate from Torquay says the same. Where is it from? I've got no idea. I've never met your mate. And um, <laughs> another one here. Teresa says, God help that woman writing on the wall. Even angry that you were funny on a serious side also had charity calls. Uh, I'm supporting. They want me to increase. Told them it stays the same or none at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, these charities are pushing. This is the story on the front page of the uh, of the paper. And the uh, and the story is of a woman who's been collecting for ages and ages and ages. And she's been pestered. She's obviously given at some point to somebody. Somebody's cold called her and uh, she's given money down the phone. They've said it's for little poor pussy cats or something. It could be for anything, really. It doesn't matter. We seem to do all sorts of charities, don't we, in this country? Can we give to people starving in another country? There's boat people. We'll have somebody setting up a charity in a minute to save all the people floating about in the ocean on boats that are not really seaworthy. And they've got nothing. They reckon that one group the other day, three months, three months they were there, and uh, they've run out of food and water and that kind of stuff. So uh, there'll be somebody setting up a charity going, we have to help these people. But charity is big business now. Very, very, very big business. Uh, Valerie is in uh, Lancashire, and uh, she says, completely disagree with you about Tony Blair. I still think he did what he thought was right at the time. No, he just took... He'd been told by all the experts there are no weapons of mass destruction. They'd even showed them all the the planes flying over, doing all the the photographing. It was wrong. It was wrong. And he never admitted he was wrong. They went to war. He was was dragged along by Bush, because old Tony would align himself to just about anybody. And he aligned himself to Bush, and Bush was determined to push the war through. It was it was just absolutely appalling. Where is the evidence? It doesn't matter with hindsight. It doesn't matter with, with hindsight. What it comes down to is the fact that, you know, where is your evidence of weapons of mass destruction? Where are the chemical weapons? Where are they? Where are they? Just show us the evidence. I'm not bothered, you know, whether they are there or they aren't there. But tell me, where is your, where is your evidence to suggest they are when Hans Blix said there weren't any? That's what it comes down to. It comes down to the uh, to the experts. Comes down to the experts. Much better. Um, 
Uh, Paul from Heathrow says, the words of Simon from Big Brother, well, they've kicked him out, haven't they? That showbiz, no. I don't think he's showbiz at all. I think he's another one of these sort of dreadful people. The lineup for this year's Celebrity MasterChef, apparently, is uh, Cheggers. God, he's not still around, is he? Good Lord. Arlene Phillips. Yvette Fielding, mad as a fruitcake. Plus Sarah Harding. Oh, God, I don't know why they bother using her in anything. Uh, Tom from The Wanted. No idea. Kimberly from The Pussycat Dolls and Rylan. Says Maria, ex ex pop stars with nothing to do. What an embarrassing lineup. I mean, to be honest with you, I've had a bit of enough of uh, Celebrity MasterChef. I'm I'm not really that uh, that interested. Enough of the blood tests already, Steve. That's, uh, I'm 55. Have my first blood test ever coming up. Doctor said it's not urgent, so building myself up for it slowly. Oh, it's nothing. It's honestly, it's so easy. Blood test. I don't know where it, it'll be over and done with in a minute. Seriously, it's it's that fast. They don't they don't waste any time at all. Any time at all. Uh, I went to two charity shops, says Noreen, yesterday to drop things off. And with the way the staff in both shops were talking, it sounded like they were going big time on gift aid. The managers were pushing it to the staff and customers. My heart goes out to that poor lady hounded to death. Let's have a, a great time at Sam's party and a happy birthday to... Amanda, my ex-producer. Have you noticed? Every day we seem to have a Steve Allen ex-producer. We had uh, Ama- we had Mandy Siegel the other day, and uh, Amanda, my ex-producer. So it's her birthday today. I bet you one thing, she ain't going to be listening to the radio at 12 minutes past five in the morning. But somebody will report back and say, Steve wished you a happy birthday on the programme, courtesy of Noreen. So there you go. Peter says, uh, I made a £5 donation to a... Uh, by mobile telephone in response to a TV ad. I got a call later asking for a direct debit. Also, a text arrived to get them to stop. Cost me eight pence. Amazing, isn't it, really? Amazing, really, that, you know, within a short space of time, they have your number. Once you've made that donation and they've got the number, then they're not going to leave you alone. And that's why in the case of this this poor woman, hounded by charities, ten begging letters a day, and she committed suicide. She couldn't handle it anymore. She felt guilt that she couldn't help any more people. And all they were doing was just uh, just taking her, her money. She sold lots of, lots of poppies. Uh, speaking last October, she revealed she was being targeted by dozens of different charities. She says uh, what, what she did, every week she put all the charities' uh, appeals in a box and she would sit down on a Sunday and read them all, literally, as opposed to just taking them and throwing them in the rubbish bin which is what she should have done, she sat down and she read every single one. It's like people who who write to people who win the lottery. Dear Mrs So-and-so, I've seen your good fortune in the paper. My mother's just died of this and my brother's just been run over by a steamroller and everything. You know, could you spare maybe £200 or something? The, the, these people are professional beggars. In the case of our poppy seller, 92-year-old Olive Cook, she was targeted by professional charity people. They want her money and they all want their piece of it. And so her number is on a list. They sit down and phone her up and they go, Hello, Olive. This is Mary. I'm calling you from Saver Gay Donkey. Would you like to uh, sort of help us, you know, in these poor donkeys in their hour of need and everything else? It's only £5 a month. And so she was happily signing up for direct debits. Well, once you've signed up, the name goes on the list. She's we, we, Every time you phone her, you manage to get a donation. She gives. You know, some people do give, and they do give to, to charities. But in the case of this lady, she was so tormented that she left, uh, leapt off the Clifton suspension bridge. She didn't see an end to it at all, and she felt so awful. And I think that's absolutely dreadful. These people have her blood on their hands because of their 
their methods of extracting money from people. Absolutely shameful. The charities who pestered her. And it would be easy to find. You go to BT, they'll have a list of all the numbers that called. They should be checked. Hopefully one of the newspapers is thinking about that, even as I speak, to make sure that these charities are exposed in the newspapers as the ones who hounded this poor lady. 92, admittedly good innings, but her whole life was fundraising. That's what she did. She fundraised and she gave money to charity and she she just didn't know how to... How, how to cope with it in the end. Great shame. It's fun. Nick Ferrari at breakfast on LBC. What for the Lib Dems? Well, they could actually fit all of their MPs into a minibus. Uh, it's Jim Farron, Lib Dem MP for Westmoreland and Lonsdale, former president of the party, joins me now. Did you see this coming? Uh, to an extent, I think, uh, but I'd be lying to you if I said I thought it'd be as bad as it was. It's the English devolution package. It's the best hope, says Mr Osborne, of rebalancing the UK economy. Philip Blonde has published a blueprint for full devolution to UK cities ahead of uh, last year's Scottish referendum. He joins me now. The Manchester model will have full control of all of the public spend in its area. To the uh, first social supermarket in London. London Mayor Boris Johnson is there. Just to prove that you're in touch with the shoppers. A tin of Tesco everyday value of baked beans. How much would that tin be? of Tesco everyday value? No, I'm asking you, Mr Mayor. Tin of beans, folks. No, no, no I'm asking yeah, you, I know, Mr I'm just, Mayor. I'm just, I'm just putting it to my focus well, group here. No. Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Every weekday morning from 7 on LBC. With Hampton by Hilton. With over 2,000 hotels worldwide. It's 5.20. Nick Ferrari and the team at breakfast. Labour's Tessa Jowell joins Nick in the studio to answer your questions. Uh, We'll also hear from the founder of UKIP as to why he's concerned about his party. And UKIP MEP Stephen Wolfe will join Nick too. Will he come out swinging for Farage? Meanwhile, celebrity chef Jamie Oliver talks about his food revolution. That's all with Nick Ferrari this morning from 7 after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. Can I make an official complaint? Bacon rolls. In America... And it turns out as well, and I only thought about it the other day, and in a lot of places now, they can't cook bacon. In America, they do it so it's like it breaks. You can pick up bacon in America and go, snap. And over here, at the railway stations, you have lots of places where the staff in there, who don't look as though they'd ever eat bacon, are overcooking it. And so you get bacon that is singed within, you know, half a centimetre of its life. Bacon is supposed to be sort of lightly cooked on both sides. That's the whole idea about it. The bacon that they serve in Waterloo Station, in any of the places there, is so overcooked, you begin to wonder whether or not these people have ever eaten bacon or seen how you're supposed to cook it. And then I realised the other day in Patisserie Valerie, they overcook bacon. And I think somebody needs to give them a guidance on how to cook it. It's not supposed to be charred to within an inch of its life. And that's exactly how it comes out. So the next time you go to any of the mainline stations or you go to some of these pasty shops that sell these bacon things for exorbitant amounts, like £3.10 and £3.20, say to them, I'm sorry, can I have one that's cooked properly, not burnt to within a cinder? And most of them look like cinders. Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. And there's a picture of um, of Boris Johnson eating a, a bacon... Butty and making right pig's ear of it. It's supposed to be when uh, my friend Stephen Milne sent me some pictures. He was in uh, the British Airways lounge. They had proper bacon butties there. Properly cooked ones. The ones you buy at the station, they're garbage. Absolute garbage. They really are terrible. Uh, Katie Hopkins says, I used to have a collie called George. One day he was run over by a hit and run driver. He had a shattered leg, but still managed to crawl his way home to me. That was the sort of dog that George was. And I loved him. I dashed to the vet, and ten minutes later, George was 
no more. She said, I feel roughly the same about Sally Burka. <laughs> Standing in the street with her mangled ankle, crawling home after being dumped by some spineless hobgoblin, I wanted to put her out of her misery. I'm no fan of Burko, but a woman can only take so much. Let the poor creature be. And that kind of sums up Sally the Burke, doesn't it, really? The woman who cheated on her husband with a hobgoblin. <laughs> That's the best way to describe him. Uh, Eric says, um, stopping cold calls. You see, now, he has a method here. He says, uh, set your landline to reject withheld numbers. Cold call callers withhold their number to avoid being traced and can't ring the landline. My service provider website explains how to code it in using the handset. It doesn't resist overseas calls. I always thought the easiest way to um, to stop cold calling, and it's so it's probably even simpler than your way, Eric, which is probably marvellous, is have your phone set to answer phone. They will not leave a message on an answer phone. The moment they hear an answer phone, they hang up. They want you to pick up the phone, so you can guarantee that they will do it. If, if, if the, the number comes up, you sit there. I've done it myself over the years, not for, not for ages now, because I don't use the landline at all. And, um, and you sit there, and the phone line rings, and I wait for somebody to go, oh, hi, Steve, it's Mary or Lynn or whoever it happens to be. And I pick up the phone and go, hi, and that's it. If you don't know the person who's just called you, and they don't leave a message, then you don't need to talk to them. It's as simple as that. But most of the people who are doing the cold callings will never, ever, ever leave a message. They will never do that because they uh, they want to speak to you. Uh, Michael Lawrence says it's it's not nice outside. He said, but uh, it's beautiful in King's Kitchen. Is it really? Is it really good this morning, King? Oh, that looks nice, doesn't it? Nice bit of fruit there. We like a bit of fruit, kiwi fruit. You should have, I should have explained how, how nice my, um, my flapjack was this morning. My friend Nicola made for me. Absolutely delicious. I mean, it, re- it really was with no sugar. I'm trying to lose this sort of... Oh, that looks nice, doesn't it, as well? What is that? Is that chicken? I don't It could be anything, actually. Is that what... People are eating that for breakfast, aren't they? <laughs> I have to ask, actually, because I'm always intrigued about what people have. Oh, that looks pretty. That looks nice, doesn't it? Ham and little tomatoes. No good sending me pictures of food. We're all starving in here. Starving, Michael. Looks lovely, though, and I'm, I'm all in favour of uh, the people eating healthily. Uh, James says, I had a company that kept calling me in the end, saying I'd won a £1,000 for every month of the year. In the end, I got so fed up with them, I reported them to Ofcom, soon stopped. Well, there, is a, there are a number of companies that you can uh, contact and have them reported. Uh, another one here. And Lynn says, don't tell fibs to the person who's having their first blood test in their 50s. The truth is they take very nearly an armful with a needle that resembles a scaffolding pole. <laughs> oh, you're very lucky, actually. I had two armfuls taken. Two armfuls taken. It's the old Tony Hancock line, isn't it, about, you know, I'm supposed to have eight pints. I want to keep eight pints. But uh, they always do it. I, I tend to find, because what they do is they sort of clip in the first needle, then they clip on the syringe, take out the first lot of blood. Your arm goes a bit withered. And then they take that one off and then they put the next one on and take two. Sometimes I've had three three taken. Depends how desperate they are. <laughs> so I like things like that. It always makes me laugh. But I, I do try and tell people that, um, oh, no. Little Julie sent me a sign, which is up in, I think it must be in Hayes, where they can't spell Hounslow on it. They, they, they can spell Hillingdon. Hounslow is spelled H-O-W-N. S-L-O-W, oh dear. Or perhaps they haven't even bothered putting the W on. Oh dear, Julie, that's terrible. 
That is, that doesn't really exist, does it? Does it really exist? If it really exists, it's even even shocking. Almost tropical this morning in Feltham, she says. Not. <laughs> I did say it was very, very cold. I did say it was very, very cold. Uh, the best way to stop these cold callers is to get a premium number. So every time they call, they get charged. And you make money as well, says Keith. If only it was so simple. If only it was as simple as that. Wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful? It would be so great. I'd be so happy. Uh, I notice that TV ads for charities ask you to send them a text. I guess then they have your mobile number to pester you and sell on. Yes, absolutely. Uh, after hearing about the story of, uh, of Olive, I've decided I'm not giving to any more charities. A bunch of mutant vampire leeches, says Stuart. And Leslie and uh, Dawn and all the workers doing uh, the moonwalk this weekend. 26-mile walk through London all night, which means that I shall see most of, the, most of them girls. I shall see you all on the, um, on the Sunday morning. On the Sunday morning. Another one here. Let's try and get as many of these in as we can this morning. Uh, my answer phone, Steve, is always full of automated speeches from companies. Um, <laughs> 84850 and uh, Rick says could you ask your new Bezzy mate Hopkins Hopkins is it I think the one that you're running scared from uh, who sent the Big Brother tweets oh I don't know I don't, who's the Big Brother tweets I don't know anybody doing Big Brother tweets nobody's watching it nobody's watching it at all that's that's the worst thing actually Um, because I think you you turned on and you know it's the stereotypical gays it's the ter- stereotypical bimbos, a couple of chavs, and a couple of sort of blokes who think they're it. And uh, and that's it. No no talent, no nothing in there. Not even interesting. You know, the fat bloke who works at McDonald's, who is fat bloke with silly clothes on, who'll probably just sort of wander... His- I'm sure I've seen him on, on something else. I have a sneaking feeling this... this att- they're, 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 they've generally all got a few screws loose, I'm afraid. Generally, a few few screws loose, but I mean, it's sort of it's even my boss is watching though. He did admit, Ashley did write a a tweet the other day saying, and I think it's all, almost to his shame that he's been watching uh, Big Brother, which is not not a good thing to get addicted to because it it isn't addictive because they really aren't of any interest at the moment. Uh, so who's who's going to Jerry Halliwell's wedding today? Nobody. Uh, it's very interesting that apparently she's using um, Emma Bunton. Her two sons, Bo and Tate, Melby's youngest daughter, Madison, uh, plus also her own daughter, Bluebell, who will be walking down the aisle with her because... Uh, but apparently, she says, the Spice Girls were an important part of her life. Oh, do me a favour, dear. You walked out on them. You dumped them. You dumped them an important part of your life. Sorry, the whole of Jerry Halliwell's life has been a little bit Jack and Ori, uh, today. So, strangely enough, uh, nobody from... Um, Victoria's side of the family. None of her children are helping out with the wedding, so they don't want to go there. George Michael's not going. David Walliams is not going. I'm not actually sure who, who poor old um, Jerry Halliwell's friends are. I don't. I really don't know. Uh, Mel C's kids would have been part of the bridal party, but apparently they, they're unable to attend. I think they're sort of building a sandcastle somewhere, so they they just can't make it. So we'll have to wait and see. They've not sold it to anybody. Oh, look. Lisa... <laughs> My friend Lisa Snowden is now following me as well. Well, that's a bit of a worry. I always get worried when Lisa follows me. She was so sweet to me. But uh, I was talking about this Nicola Flapjack, which was so good and no no sugar. It was. It tasted a bit like Christmas cake. So I think I might have to place a regular order with Nicola to come in and make it. Because she's got a husband who's, who's diabetic. 
And so she's made it. It's got all sorts of things that I've never even heard of. But actually, I reckon that Lisa would enjoy this as well. It was delicious. I mean, absolutely delicious. Before the... I felt quite full up. And I've had my injection this morning to stop me eating food. Didn't stop me eating that, though. But it was particularly good, but hardly any sugar. Coming up, uh, we'll have a couple of our celebrities from this week's In Conversation on Sunday morning, which goes between 5 and 6, and then repeated between 9 and 10. But before that, the latest headlines at 5. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. It's Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. You're very welcome. It's Friday. Bit exciting if you've worked the week, because now you've got the weekend off. And the good news is, if you're going to the rugby, it's the Sevens at Twickenham. I've got no idea what that means. Seriously. Somebody said, is it the Sevens? I went, yeah, it's the Sevens. I don't know what it perhaps it means, seven games. I've got no idea. But uh, there'll be loads and loads of people out there. Uh, we've got to look forward to a swarm of ants heading our way. I can I can cope with ants. I'm not too, too bothered about ants. It's, uh, it's those ghastly and pesky wasps that I'm not particularly good at. Prince Charles on the front page. Still pictures of Prince Harry. I'm getting increasingly bored with Prince Harry rubbing noses with people. I mean, really, you know, shouldn't he sort of be coming back and doing a job? We've had enough of the of the holiday and the jollies, but there must be something else you can do, please. Make small talk at work. You'd rather go and hide in the toilet, apparently. Really? I love small talk at work. I can do it to the point of annoyance. Seriously, I mean, really, I can do it to the point of annoyance. Um, from uh, from Linda, who got up a bit early today just to listen, says, uh, I wish you weren't on so early. I could listen to you for hours. Well, you can podcast. You can podcast the programme. And then you can keep listening. You can put me on a loop. She says, I, I, I just visualise Hal Cruttenden, who is fab. I love your version of Sally the Burke. 100% correct, of course. Oh, I thought you were going to sort of come back with... Uh, who, who's that other one who does the... Um, the mind reading thing. Sally, Sally the psychic. Her. She, oh, he's with me now. He's here, darling. He's here. <laughs> I wet myself laughing watching the last thing she did. It was hilarious on the stage. You know, they go, oh, I've got a, a, a man here. Alf or Aiden or something. Sally Morgan. She said, I've got Alf or, or Aiden. She can't get the name right. You know, and I, I'm shouting at the telly. Is he not speaking in your language or something like that? Is it? And then, and then somebody will put their hand up at the back and she goes, he's here with me now, darling. He's sta- No, he's not. There's nobody on the stage with you. It's just you and your bottom. That's it. And there is quite a bit of Sally's bottom, let me tell you. Anyway, two great interviews for you for this weekend on In Conversation. And I mean great interviews. They're really good. Uh, my first guest, huge sex symbol. In the 70s, although recently he's described that attention as annoying. He has shone in many TV series and on stage, of course, which his first appearance was at the age of three. It's uh, the actor. And I was I was dreading doing the interview. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you quite honestly, because Martin Shaw has had a bit of a reputation over the years. And when you listen to the whole interview, you will know why. Uh, he had a bit of a reputation. I'm not going to spoil it now. But ahead of his return, with the seventh series, which we're now into, of Inspector George Gently, we reminisced about his early acting years in the 60s and 70s, but particularly the fashion. I remember in 1970, <laughs> about 1972 or thereabouts, I was filming in Spain, uh, which at the time was... Uh, of the, the Franco regime, yeah. Qu- quite heavy regime. Yes, very. But it was also uh, right at the peak of, of the hippie period. We were filming Sinbad's Golden Voyage, God help me. Remember. And so I had shoulder-length hair, 
a viva sabata moustache, unshaven in between, a caftan, and crushed velvet flares. Mm. Mm. Can you imagine how that went down with the Guardia Civil? Sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Must not, have you marked out. Not terribly well. <laughs> The clothes, I mean, I used to go to Lord John in the King's Road, and oh. you would look at the clothes, you think, oh, I'd like to wear that. Uh, the only thing I never got, I never got a, a sheepskin. I got one of those, what, the oh, Afghan things? Yeah, the Afghan things. I bought one they of those from the King's the Road, and I felt so guilty, because it cost a fortune. Yes. I mean, more than I had ever spent on anything in my life. It was £72. Wow. And I couldn't believe that I just spent that much money on a coat, which stank. Yes, they sank. Yeah, yeah. And when it rained, they were even worse. They were worse, yeah. They yeah. were worse. I, I still had shreds of yak inside That's right. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly did. Hands up those people who remember those. That's the actor Martin Shaw. New series of Inspector George Gently currently airing on the television. And, uh, and I, do, I, I will explain to you during the course of the interview exactly why I approached the interview with just a little trepidation. Uh, my next guest is a natural-born storyteller, and a very funny one at that. You'd recognise his face anywhere. He's had his own television shows. Before that, he's presented political quiz show Have I Got News For You. This is the comedian and actor, and now director as well, Omid Jalili. He's actually been working on this very serious project, producing an anti-war film called We Are Many. It's released next week, and he was telling me about the protests, including those here in London, which inspired the documentary. It's interesting, the people, the populace, the, in, in London alone, there was 1.5 million people came out to the streets and marched. And it was, I, I didn't know it was a, we didn't know it was a global thing. This was a, 800 yes. cities took part. And then my friend, when I saw the, there was an original trailer, there was a kind of Kickstarter, it's one of the first Kickstarter things that started back in 2011. And uh, I saw it was my friend from school, a guy called Amir Amirani. He was an Iranian kid, very, very sweet, humble boy. Yeah. Uh, and it just seemed the most unassuming person. And he was putting this film together. So I, I still had his number. I rang him up because um, we'd stayed in touch. He goes, yeah, 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 I'm trying to put this film together. I'm trying to get some money together and trying to get some people to back it and everything. And I said, well, look, what do you need? And we, we sat down, we had a meeting, and uh, it was at the beginning of his process. And what he's come up with and the way it's evolved is people think it's a political film, but it really is a human It's a, it's no, a it's human not political. film. No, no, no. It's no. not political at all, no. because it's not really about arguing about, should we have gone to war or not? Should we have... A lot of intellectuals have said, well, you know, Tony Blair went to war with Iraq because he'd gone and saved the Kosovans from the ethnic cleansing, so he was a hero there, so he thought it was the same thing. It's not about that. This is about humanity coming together mm. and saying, we are one. So when you stub your toe, the, the, the little toe is as further away from the human brain as it possibly can. But what you do is that you care about it. You put your hand over it. Mm. You want the pain to go. So it really is a wonderful story of humanity coming together. And of course, nothing happened. Nothing happened that day. We still went to war. And I think what the film is trying to say is that we do have power. It's a fascinating film. Seriously, I watched it yesterday morning. It's beautifully put together, really beautifully put together with interviews with people who swore blind that they would never do interviews about it. Yet for this film, they've done it. Uh, comedian, actor and producer. Homage Lily on We Are Many, which is released next week. Check your local cinema. I think uh, the Odeon chain, I think View and a couple of others are all showing it. So check your area. You will probably have it in there. Uh, that looks behind the lies and the deception of the Iraq war and the human movement against it and the millions who around the world protested. You can hear more of Omid Jalili and my chat with the actor Martin Shaw on In Conversation this Sunday from 5am until 6 Repeat it again 
at 9pm on Sunday evening. And don't forget, I'm live every Sunday morning between 6 and 8 as we delve as only we can into the Sunday newspapers, finding out the stories and uh, bringing you all the all the stuff behind it, you know, especially if we know about it. Uh, Eric says, reject withheld numbers is the simplest. Cold callers can't even ring you. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm just worrying, actually, Eric, that there might be certain people listening who might not understand about things like that. I, I can't work out manuals on things. If you actually look at a manual for operating a, a DVD player or television or something like that, I mean, thankfully, they're all auto-tuned nowadays. But I've sat there and I've said to a friend of mine, listen, just you, you do it, then tell me what you've done. Because it's a lot easier for you to explain it to me that way. Uh, poor old Len in Manchester. He says, uh, I'm loving the show. I'm 64 today. But I hate getting older. Everything has started going west. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. He says, I've now got diabetes too, epilepsy and depression. <laughs> kind of got the set, haven't you, really? Kind of got the set. You know, just when you get over one, you've got the other one. He says, but the show does cheer me up. Oh, there you go. That's all that matters nowadays. <laughs> I love your model voice, says Neil. Yeah, what do you do? Model. <laughs> there used to be um, uh, somebody who used to do that act years and years ago. And they used to say, oh, get Gail Tuesday. Why are you? Model, page-free model. And this is my boyfriend. I call him Pimp. And so we used to laugh at Gail. Where she went to, I've got no idea. Because she sort of used to portray herself as a page-three girl, being somewhat simple. Because some of the page-three girls are incredibly simple. But all they are, they're just girls who are prepared to take their, their, their clothes off. It's sort of, it's, it's, it's a road to nowhere, I'm afraid. It's, it's a road that, you know, is littered, littered with corpses all over the place. And people going, uh, so if I actually sort of go, go topless, will, will that get me in the papers? Yes, darling, of course it will. Not always, not always. Uh, today is my good friend Tony Batten's 80th birthday. He's uh, a lovely, kind man. He's had a very sad year. He lost his wife, uh, Pat, earlier. So I wish him a very happy birthday, says Neil. I shall pick him up tomorrow and bring him up to us for the day, hopefully visit some of the places that hold lots of memories for us. So there you go, Tony Batten, 80. A child, a child, Tony. 80. Actually, there's a very interesting... I don't know whether or not Tony Tony drives, Neil, but there is a piece in one of the papers today saying that people are becoming more concerned about the over-70s who are driving. See, I thought the over-70s were the new 50. And they're now getting concerned that these people are driving. Well, I mean... You know, there's nothing, provided you can do it, I can always tell if I'm behind a really elderly person. They are a little bit more aware, which is probably good, of what's going on on the roads. Unlike Johnny Depp, who's not aware of anything. And so uh, here they are with their, their Yorkies. So they're only small dogs. Anyway, far from pandering to the, uh, to the whims of a Hollywood A-lister, the agriculture minister says, just because you're Johnny Depp playing Jack Sparrow doesn't mean you're exempt from Australian laws. He says, if you start letting movie stars, even if they've been the sexiest man alive twice, come into the nation with pets, then why don't we just break laws for everybody? It's time that Pistol and Boo went back to uh, the United States. Yes, because they shouldn't actually be in there. They haven't been through quarantine. Uh, No decision has been uh, taken up uh, against them. Uh, Mr Joyce admitted that if he does end up having Johnny Johnny Depp's dogs put down... He won't expect it to be invited to the opening of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I would think that would be a very good assumption. Very good assumption. I mean, the, the, these, these shows, that, sorry, the, these dogs should go back to America as soon as possible. They've got no, um, no right to be in the country. They don't even have papers with them. You can't just bring dogs in. I've seen the border control in Australia. I've seen it. It's really, really, you know, strict. Very, they're, they're, blimey, they're strict on plant life and everything. And here's Johnny Depp sticking two fingers up. Perhaps he didn't know. 
Perhaps he didn't know that you have to sort of... Read. Perhaps he thought he's so rich you fly in on a private jet and I'm bringing my dogs with me. I can remember when Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton moored their yacht by Tower Bridge. They had dogs on board, but they weren't allowed to get off onto shore. The dogs had to stay on the boat because they didn't have uh, quarantine. So they, they stayed there on the boat while they sort of did their photo shoots and everything else. Quarter Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Ten to six. Well, very nearly ten to six. All right, 11 minutes to six. That's not sort of waste time. You know, it's not going to... All right, now it's ten to six. Uh, it's Steve Allen's early breakfast. It's Friday the 15th of May. This story, which runs in, in a number of the papers today, the, uh, the lady who killed herself because she was hounded to death by cold callers. And it's a problem that we've dealt with on LBC over the years. I've lost track of how many programmes and where you have to go to complain about it. Her, her daughter, Catherine, said charities would call up asking for more money even if her mother was already donating to them. She also said one of those pestering her mother was the mental health charity Mind. She said it was, it was getting too much. She was getting severe depression. People who should not, uh, you know, charities should not hound people with a mental illness. And in fact, I can tell you now that there are very strict guidelines from the Data Protection Act. It sets out quite clearly that organisations, including charities, have got to be open and honest with people. And because, and I think that uh, Olive knew this, but because she donated, they just kept pestering her. And I said, you know, you can literally go to BT, get a list of all the companies that have phoned her and start listing these, these charities. But I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll go, ah, well, that was nothing to do with us. This was a, a separate fundraising, you know, group of people. And, we, and we, we should make sure that they're well aware. You know, the usual kind of guff that you hear. The usual kind of claptrap. At the end of the day, though, a 92-year-old woman was so depressed at the way that she was treated that she didn't know how to deal with. You get confused anyway. God knows, I spend most of my days getting confused. She was 92. She threw herself off the Clifton Suspension Bridge. She was that depressed. She was that depressed to take her own life. She'd been selling poppies for years. These charities have blood on their hands. They really have. The methods that they employ now to get money out of people. I mean, we all hate the chuggers. Absolutely hate the chuggers. The people who are literally, as far as I'm concerned, they're almost legalised beggars on the streets. Hello, have you got two minutes? No, I haven't. Go away. The way to stop chuggers, unless you're really desperate for a naff conversation on the street, uh, is to hold your phone up to your ear. Or just hold your hand up to your ear. They're not allowed to approach people if you're doing something else. And I tell you what, if you really want to hear what, what the patter is, go and stand next to them whilst they're talking to somebody else. They'll soon say, yes, can I help you? And you go, no, it's the pavement. I'm just having a listen to what you're saying. And just see how far you get. You wait till you get the abuse from the chuggers. You wait. It's all out there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what else was in the, uh, the paper today? Oh, yes, the uh, a sausage roll. This is the, the details of Daniel Howe's crimes. Read out in court, the judge was profoundly shocked. His feathers weren't ruffled by the nature of the shoplifting case, but by the fact that the 19-year-old stole a sausage roll and how much it cost. He stole it from a petrol station in Westerham, in Kent, on December the 20th. Maidstone Crown Court heard how the jobless teenager of Swanley picked up the sausage roll from a chiller cabinet before strolling out of the garage and eating it. I mean, honestly, so he's... Oh, right, so that's what he's done. Anyway, the garage owner said he wanted compensation for the theft, saying the shopkeeper would appreciate payment for the sausage roll. When asked how much the compensation would amount to, the prosecutor told the court that the sausage roll cost £3. Even a jumbo sausage roll from Waitrose is only 69p. Philip Statman, looking visibly shocked, exclaimed, £3 for a sausage roll? He said it must have been a gourmet sausage roll. 
He said he was not going to send the teen to prison, despite him being on a suspended sentence for a previous conviction. He said it would be completely over the top to send you to prison for a sausage roll. Well, that's fine then. If you're a shoplifter, just steal individually, bit by bit. Just keep going backwards, forwards, because you're never going to get prosecuted. He said you'll be fined £25. And uh, he said, have you got £3 now? You can hand over immediately. But his lawyer said he'd got cash only for his train fare home. Given six weeks to pay the full amount. It's pathetic, isn't it? I hate people who just walk into places and pick things up. <laughs> uh, Gail Tuesday says Demian in Singapore was a character created by Brenda Gilhooley, a friend of your mate, Paul O'Grady's. Yes, is that Paul who's staying in the country or leaving the country? I can't remember. And uh, and Paul says uh, Twickenham has a local paper. See if they'll run a, um, a story with your photo of Graffiti Woman to see if you can find her. Yes, do you know, I th- we, we, we thought about that as well. We've thought about all sorts of things. Uh, if you don't know what it is, you have to podcast this programme because it's the story at the beginning of the programme about us catching a woman who's graffitiising our property. And we've caught her. We haven't actually found the woman, but you're right. Perhaps we could sort of find her through the help of the local paper. They like things like that. It fills it up a little bit. Perhaps, uh, perhaps I shall, I shall get Lynn onto that one a little bit later. She'd like that actually. She's loving getting her teeth in. Uh, bacon and sausages at the food outlets have been pre-cooked before you order them. They deep fry sausages. Well, they can't in uh, Waterloo Station. There's no deep frying involved. Leave them on a tray until you order them, then they heat them up on the grill. Uh, I always ask to have it freshly grilled. Yes, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't work like that because all these things are sitting there. But it's the bacon that they, they overcook it. It's literally, you can break it. It's, it becomes brittle. And it's how the Americans do their bacon, which is absolutely ghastly. Absolutely ghastly. Uh, 84850. Mary says, in the, in the 80s, I went to see Martin Shaw in the Alan Bleasdale play, You Lonesome Tonight, about the last hours of Elvis Presley. He was great. It's a really good interview. I don't say that because he's appearing on LBC or because I've done it, but, I mean, it really is a... It's a very good interview. He's in very good form. Very good form. When you think he's over over 65, quite a bit over 65, <laughs> which is good. Um, Luciana, Luciana says, My cat had to spend six months in quarantine to leave Australia. So expensive, but they are the rules. This is the Johnny Depp story of Johnny Depp just uh, walking uh, into Australia with, with two dogs. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Dave, the chauffeur from Gravesend, says, My uncle's 90. He's just bought a new car. Oh, God. Yeah, but does he know he's bought a new car? That's always the big question, isn't it, I think? Uh, Rugby sevens, says Jude, means only seven players per team instead of 15. Very high-octane game to watch. Oh, right. And... um, and, and Ron says, for those going to Twickers this year, be careful when parking. Hordes of civil enforcement officers dishing out parking tickets on every road. But actually, but that's, that's always standard. That's always quite standard. Uh, and Dion in Langley says, Jerry Halliwell moved in up the road from me. Met her and George Michael in the local pub. She was horrible. He was quiet. <laughs> well, she's getting married today. She's getting married today, and as I say, the nation rejoices. How long it lasts, I don't know. Lenin Bushy says, the poor lady hounded by the charities. My elderly mum was becoming overwhelmed with letters and would open each one. I persuaded her to give them to me, and I disposed of them. That's the thing to do. You have to, if you've got elderly parents, you've got to make sure they're not being hounded by anybody because we had that case on the telly at the risk of boring you with the same story. A man who'd been told that he'd won a lottery. And they, they, they pursued him and they, they just literally hounded him. Luckily, his son contacted a TV producer and they went round there and they, they tried to explain to him, but he wouldn't have it, that 
he hadn't won any money at all. He said, no, I've just spoken to them. And this is how vulnerable elderly people are. So if you've got an elderly relative, you have to, you have to make sure that they're aware of things. And if in doubt, to phone you first. Because there's lots of scams out there which deliberately target the elderly, people who are forgetful, people who could be seen as, as highly vulnerable. And uh, he, was, he was up until the last minute. You know, the, the people spoke to him and said, OK, uh, what we'll do is send round the courier with your, with your money. Is that all right? We do that. Well, of course, the courier never turned up, did he? And, uh, and he, he, again, in the end, he wasn't particularly believing that it was a scam. He just believed that they hadn't delivered on this particular occasion because he'd had loads of, loads of letters from them saying, you've won this much money. And his son said to him, but did you enter a competition? He said, no. He said, well, why would you have won any money? If you haven't entered a competition, you know, congratulations, you've just won the latest Japanese lottery. And he had to say, listen, if you didn't buy a ticket for the Japanese lottery, Dad, the chances are you won't have won anything. Why would they just pick your number out? Uh, Because they they then say, to release the money, you need to send us £17.95, for example. Once they've got the £17.95, the next step is to notch it up a bit. They then go, uh, dear Mr X, uh, we've taken over the business of the previous company who sent £17.95 to you, who went under for reasons best known to themselves. We're now looking after it. We have your money here. It's safe. Don't worry. They're saying all the right things. Uh, If you'd like to send us £25, then we can make sure that we we process this as quickly as possible. Thank you for your indulgence in the matter, because they're generally written uh, in Nigeria. They write from... it's 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 one of the places where I think most of the scams operate. Where was the other one that they did the other day? It was somewhere in India. I think, which, again, lots of scams were operating from. Probably all those cold calling centres. And, um, and and they make it sound as though you've got the money. And so if you're an elderly person, you go, oh, I've got the money, I just need to send £25 to release it. And they're be- they, they aren't just written in crayon. These are beautifully printed. They can come with packs and all, all sorts of things. All it's designed to do is part you from your money. And in the case of this lady killed by her kindness, no, she was killed by the charities... She was killed by the charities who knew exactly what they were doing. They're well aware of the practices that go on. They're designed to extract money from people. And the more vulnerable the person is, even though there are laws in place, there'll be lots of these stories that never make it to the front of the paper because the person might just die. In the case of this particular lady, who's in all the papers today, who's Britain's oldest poppy seller, Olive Cook, she committed suicide. That's why they'll have to investigate it further, and hopefully they'll name more of the charities that have been pestering her with these disgraceful practices. Coming up to the news at six o'clock this morning on LBC, and uh, Nigel Farage telling the Daily Telegraph he will remain at the party's helm, though he's admitted he's lost the faith of his peers. The Prime Minister and Nicholas Sturgeon will inevitably clash over devolution when they hold talks in Edinburgh today. That's the independence lead. Uh, The Mail reports that Britain's longest-serving poppy seller jumped to her death after being hounded by dozens of major charities in this country. It's absolutely scandalous. And Stephen Sutton's fundraising. A year after his death, they've hit five million. He'd be so pleased and so proud that something has gathered momentum. And, as always, you've come to the fore. Oh, and the trick of the light behind that dress colour. All of that and more. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. On FM, online, on your mobile and on digital radio. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC. This is LBC. Leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. 
tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. The housing benefit cuts start to bite, according to the uh, the paper today. The lady hounded by the charities has committed suicide. I don't think we've ever had a story like this in all the years that I can think of. 92 years old, been collecting for the poppy fund for ages and ages, and then obviously being a generous person, the charities started hounding. And my God, they hounded her to the point of depression. She threw herself off the Clifton Suspension Bridge at the age of 92. It's official. Women are better drivers. I don't think we'll argue that one with you this morning. And do you remember that dress? What colour do you see it? It's apparently a trick of the light. Well, I always knew that in the first place. I mean, we can't really be that bad, can we, at spotting colours? And the 24-foot conga eel, which they've just dragged up from the depths. You've never seen any size of it. I mean, absolutely enormous. 20-foot long. I mean, this thing could kill you. This thing could absolutely kill you. Uh, The sun creams that don't give you the protection that they promise. And the British aid helicopters rejected in a row in Nepal. And uh, lazy Britain. We're apparently lazy. Do you know why we're lazy? We don't do, half of us, and I have to put my hands up as well, we don't do any brisk exercise. I mean, I know more people now. It's funny, we've become gym mad. Gym crazy in this building. I know more people in this building who literally... I say, where are you going to today? Just going off to the gym. Really? You not want to go and have a pie or a pasty or something and some chips? Nope, going to the gym. So people are obsessed with the, with the working out bit. I'm not, but I'm trying to lose a stone by Sunday. I don't think it's going to be very likely. I don't think it's going to be very likely. But uh, So I, I did one of my special injections this morning, which is supposed to stop me eating, but I did eat the thing that my friend Nicola made for me, which is quite, it was delicious, absolutely delicious. But the good thing is she made it because she knows how to make food for diabetics. And in fact, she should really market this one because she took it out of a recipe book uh, by somebody who does a lot of these non-sugar recipes. And it was delicious. Just by adding things like, because I can't cook, adding things like dates and bananas, it gives you the, sh- the sugar in the in the date. And so you end up with the, with the sugar from that. It was delicious, absolutely delicious. Uh, we'll do the front pages of the papers and uh, we'll be putting in all your texts and uh, emails to steve at lbc.co.uk. Lindsay in Cornwall had uh, 17 cold calls in one day. 17 cold calls. It's illegal for them to cold call. That's what annoys me. There are laws quite clearly in place which stop you being cold called. But, you know, people just pick up a telephone now, don't they? The the phone rings, you pick it up. I don't. You know, if if my mobile phone rings and no number is displayed there, uh, then I don't answer the telephone. I do have a couple of friends of mine in the same way that my number is withheld. So friends of mine go, did you call me a minute ago? And I go, no. They go, it was withheld. I said, well, there must be quite a few people with withheld numbers. So I'll only answer it if it's there. I know that the doctor's surgery doesn't actually come up as the doctor's surgery. It comes up as withheld. So I don't answer it until until Di has left a message for me. You have to do it. You have to do it. Uh, On the front pages of the papers for today, let's start with the Metro, shall we? Just give you a rough idea where we're coming from today. More than 11,000 tenants have lost their homes in the first three months of the year. It emerged yesterday as charities warned welfare cuts have created a crisis. Single-parent families are being driven out after housing and other benefits were capped. You see, there, there has been a culture in this country of people deliberately getting themselves pregnant. The partner disappears off. They appear to have nothing more to do. You see them all the time because they're on the Jeremy Kyle show. 
And then people get, uh, because they're a single parent, they end up being given housing. And you think, no, no, the person who got you pregnant should be paying for this. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. But uh, single parent families are now being driven out. Work and Pensions Secretary Ian Duncan Smith, who intends to reduce maximum payments even further, insisted the policy has been successful. Uh, the bloke who's quit the, uh, the Simpsons... Um, Mr Burns may finally give in to old age. Ned Flanders moved from Springfield and Principal Skinner be fired because the man who does all the voices is leaving. Harry Shearer, 71. This is after they've offered a huge amount of money. I think something like um, a two-year deal worth over £8 million, uh, which is phenomenal. And uh, so he's, he's decided, he wanted to do other things. And I think that the... The system that they operate at The Simpsons is that they're looking for people to be terribly loyal. They don't want you to go off and do other things. And he wanted to go and do other things. It's not like he's uh, he's short of money. He's he's got a savings of uh, of about forty million. I think about forty million, which is uh, which is a huge amount of money. Huge amount of money. Uh, there's a teenager in the paper today. Uh, he's been jailed for six months after he and friends stole and tortured rare birds. He posted their corpses through people's letterboxes. Some very sick people out there. Thomas Knott squeezed, kicked and battered the animals to death before being caught on CCT with a sick grin as he posted them in. You've only got to look at him to realise he's slightly disturbed. And uh, one of these birds was kicked across a hallway and um, and he spent much of the, the trial giggling in the dock. So, as I say, not all there in the upstairs department, I suspect. Higgs didn't show up for sentencing. A warrant's been issued. The other one was jailed for six months and the other an 18-month rehabilitation order. These sick teenagers out there. Well, anyway, you'll have time to reflect at Her Majesty's pleasure. Uh, the front of the sun this morning. And, uh, and this is uh, poor Olive, hounded by charities. She was a poppy seller. The oldest poppy seller I think we've ever had. Um, and she decided that... Uh, she couldn't go on, so she killed herself. She was she was at a state of depression because she wanted to give to the charities, but I don't think she had the money, and she felt as though she was letting people down, as you would at 92. You get confused. But they, they reckon she'd sold something like 30,000 poppies over the year, and as they're all made in Richmond down the road from me, I feel a, I feel a, feel a, feel a kind of a bond with this lady. She's one of the, the unsung heroes. You've never heard of her before. I've never heard of her before. But uh, but here she is now. But her, her picture on the front, she looks like a nice old lady. She was a nice old lady who went out there and she sold poppies. And she very generously, at some point, and we don't know where it, it started, she gave money to charity. They ended up with her phone number. Because years ago, people handed out their phone numbers like sweeties. They handed out phone numbers like sweeties. Because you didn't think that it was going to come back and haunt you. But of course now... You hand your, your phone number out and the chuggers ask for phone numbers. They, they, some of their, their, their tactics have changed quite cleverly. They go, I'm not asking for any money. I'm just asking for a phone number. And people go, oh, that's OK then. Well, you've signed your life away. You've signed your life. Once they've got your phone number, they can then bombard you with all sorts of things. And that's what they did. She was bombarded at home. They tried changing the phone number. They found it again. Because all they'll do is they can just go on and you can, there are ways round it. You know, this number has now changed to this number. So they call that number and they get her again. In the end, she was frightened to answer the telephone. Her family said that she was, she was targeted. Ten begging letters a day. I mean, that's an ex- extraordinary amount of begging letters to, uh, to receive at the age of 92, where, you know, she just didn't know what to do. And she did read them all. 
she would sit down, she'd put them all in a box, and on a Sunday, she would sit down and she would open the letters. And she would go through them. But she didn't have the financial means. And I think, she, you know, it's such a sad story, but it's so annoying at the same time. Because, you know, this, this, this charity malarkey and the way that they now extract cash from people, it's not just the ghastly chuggers on the streets. If you want to give to a charity, go and give directly to that charity. If you want to do it through a charity shop, do it through a charity shop. Don't ever give to somebody who phones up. Don't ever hand out your details, your bank details, your sorting code, nothing. Don't give people your postcode. They always go, oh, I remember going into a shop once to buy a, 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 a charger for a phone. And he goes, so this is 20 quid. It's a 20 quid charger. And he goes, can I just have your address? No, you can't. Done in my Anne Whittakin voice. No, you can't. And then, so he said, oh, can I just have the postcode? I thought, that's the same. Why on earth you'd want to hand a perfect stranger your address for buying a phone charger? He said, well, I need it for the receipt. I said, well, put your own address on there then. Not getting mine. I get really angry with things like that. There's too many people trying to get it. Luckily, touch wood, so far, I do not get junk mail. I just don't get anything at all. It's quite. I did get something through the post the other day. I had no idea what it was. And it turns out it's a thing for removing plugs. Plugs, you know, plugs, plugs in the wall. Which I thought was quite exciting. I thought it was something to do with a bicycle when I first looked at it. Lynn and I poured over it going, what the dickens is that? We had no idea. But 17 cold calls in, uh, in one day, Lindsay, I think is just about enough. Just about enough. That's when I think you just have to go and complain. And this family were at their wits end. So uh, she's on the front of a lot of the papers for today. 84850 steve at uh, Thank you as well to Paul, who's suggesting the Richmond and Twickenham Times for the picture of the woman doing graffiti. I think these people, luckily, we've got uh, her image caught, so we can find her. It's like, you know, when they say the police are interested in talking to this person here. And in fact, there are two people up on the LBC website who uh, subjected some people on a train to some racist abuse. And uh, that's up there. And they always ask for the help in the public, because somebody somewhere is going to recognise these people. There was somebody the other day who stole two collecting tins, I think, from Asda. He's clearly identifiable. So I should imagine the police will be knocking on his door very, very shortly. It's quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 6.20 is the time. This weekend at Brentwood Theatre, says Mark. We're looking forward to having Anna Karen with us. Yes, Olive from On The Buses. Do you know, I was only watching an On The Buses old one the other day, but I was watching Robin's Nest as well, which I absolutely love. She's leading a talented cast of four for the Vagina Monologues. Should be a fun weekend. Ruth in Shepherd's Bush, thank you, Mark, uh, was regularly donating my mum, she says, to a charity. Then they started badgering for a higher monthly donation, so she stopped altogether and chose a different one. Yes, I mean, I, I, it really, this is the ugly side of, of collecting, and I don't, don't like it at all, I'm afraid. Uh, Peter says, drove a Bentley like yours from London to Coventry yesterday. I so get why you love it. So much class. I know, it's what they call an attention seeker, isn't it, really? Uh, a lot of people saying, are you sure Jerry Halliwell's getting married today? Yeah, absolutely. Zion House. Weather's not the best, is it? Um... Tonium Ryslip says, I gave to UNICEF for Nepal via text two weeks ago. Annoyingly, they've called me every day since. So I've now blocked their number. I shall never give again. Do they not realise it's harassment? They, they pass the number on. It goes to, you know, another branch of the company and they sit there and it's their, their thing. They do it in, in America, but they do it in America. The cold calling there is from the churches. 
You know when you have the spiritual churches on the television and they phone up and say, hi, you know, you can call in or you can, or they actually call you and they're looking for money. They're looking for money. And they want donations. And once you've given once, they know that you've got the money. Uh, the women who are better drivers than men, the story is in a lot of the papers for today. The, the gay MPs we did yesterday on the programme. Uh, there's also, oh, there's, there's a great story, which I haven't got enough time to tell you now because I've got an early out time, is the cost of speeding at 101 miles an hour, £11,000. It was some man who tried to dispute it, but they uh, they went to a lot of time and trouble to prove that he was telling fibs. Uh, the best of British, fish and chips or a pub roast dinner. This is what people, people like, your favourite, di- the usual sort of silly little survey in the paper today. Chips and gravy features in there. Mushy peas. I wouldn't... Oh, mushy peas. I can't think of anything worse than mushy peas. There's something odd about mushy peas. I don't know why. Uh, There's a woman who who lost 15 stone in the paper today. 15 stone, ladies and gentlemen. And what did she do? She stopped eating cheese. Cheese is the most fattening thing that you can put inside your body. And so she stopped eating it and the weight started falling off. Which is, uh, which is good news. So I know a lot of you are going, oh, I quite like cheese, actually. Quite like cheese. Uh, there is a story about the sun cream, which uh, they say it, it isn't as, uh, as, as good. The budget uh, sun creams are as good as the very costly ones. And, and they've said here that the, the ones who have passed are things like Asda Protect Sun, Boots Essential Sun Lotion, Garnier Ombre Solaire Moisturising Protection, Lloyd's Pharmacy Solero Moisturising Sun Lotion. The ones that failed, Boots Sultan Protect and Moisture and Hawaiian Tropic Silk Hydration Lotion. Yeah. But, uh, but some of the, the, the prices of these things are amazing. M&S Sun Smart Moisture Perfect Sun Lotion, 200ml, is £8.50. You can go to Asda and get the same thing, roughly, for £3.50. £8.50. I used to love, though, the picture on the bottles of the sun lotion. It had somebody who looked the colour of a coconut. I used to absolutely love things like that. I used to think, if I spray myself with this, will I end up that same colour? And the answer is, I never did. I never did. I always ended up, I'm afraid, looking just slightly pink and red with peel. The peeling was the worst thing. Oh, dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Um, Who else did the paper day? Clark Carlyle. Twice he features in the paper. Uh, firstly, they banned him from the road for three years because he's an idiot. Uh, secondly, he's told of his shame at su- of subjecting an ex-teammate to vile homophobic abuse. I'm a bit bored with you, Mr Carlyle. You need, uh, you need to be taught a lesson, and that's why the judge has taken away your licence for, uh, for three years, because you shouldn't have been driving anyway. But, uh, but you were, so I'm glad that they've, they've kept you off the roads. You're quite clearly an idiot of the first order. Front page of the, the Mirror, Aussie death threat to Johnny Depp's two dogs because he took them in, didn't have the paperwork. Somebody's pointed out that he must have people that do things like that. They must have known that you can't just take dogs into a country. I mean, surely even Johnny Depp, bizarre though he might be, must have heard of the word quarantine. <laughs> you know, it's not difficult, is it? Well, perhaps it is if you're a, if you're a Hollywood celebrity. Uh, front page of the Express today: three point nine million reasons to save UKIP. Party must stay united. You know that the Express are fully backing UKIP. Uh, the Johnny Depp story, and also the heartbreaking story of the poppy seller who died after losing her faith in people. Independent on the front page: Nigel Farage, the embattled leader of the UK Independence Party, outside the party's headquarters in Mayfair, if you please. In Mayfair. Property must be really cheap around there, man of the people. It's not, of course. It's phenomenally expensive. And uh, ISIS fighters have advanced to a place called Palmyra. 
which is a world-renowned historic site. Uh, the fear is now that they're going to be destroying all this architecture. Really. I mean, it's just... Just lose the will to live, don't you, really? Uh, Daily Telegraph, for talking about... Um, oh, Stephen Gerrard in some of the other papers. He's apparently replaced the grass in his home somewhere with, um, with AstroTurf. So chav. Uh, Farage clinging to the UKIP leadership. Uh, Charlie's theorem at Cannes. People love Cannes, don't they? It's very, very glamorous. I've been there. And uh, Freud's Fat Sue, nude, sells for record 35 million. This is a life-size nude by Lucien Freud. Uh, a Fat Sue, 35 million. Benefit supervisor resting went for 56.2 million, which is 35.6 million pounds. And, uh, I mean, he, even after his death, I mean, this is phenomenal money. I mean, absolutely phenomenal money. I wish he'd... Somebody actually had a load of things, didn't they, from him, from his studio, just offcuts of paintings and things like that. And he just collected them all up and just put them all in a bag. Wish I'd found them. That's it for the this morning. Yesterday I made that cardinal sin where I managed to sort of completely go far too early for the news. So I'm determined today to absolutely hit it on the button. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, I hope you'll join me on Sunday morning. I'm here between five and six for In Conversation and then live between six and eight. You can download the LBC app on the LBC website if you missed any of today's show. We have a free podcast for you up in about 15 minutes and the remainder of the uh, of the programme up a little bit later on. The app is suitable for iPhones and Androids. At seven this morning, it's Nick Ferrari. But next, the morning news with Lisa.